Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Mack Weldon, my favorite destination for men's clothing. Listeners can save 20% on their order by using promo code SUCCESS at MacWeldon.com. When Scott Kelly talks about flying into space, he sounds like a guy talking about his favorite hobby. Amazing. Launching on a rocket. Wish I could do it every day. This is Success How I Did It from Business Insider. I'm Rich Filoni. Scott Kelly spent a whole year on board the International Space Station. Meanwhile, his identical twin brother Mark was on Earth. Since then, scientists have been watching how differently the two have aged. Kelly's retired now, but that doesn't mean he's taking it easy. He wrote a memoir about his year in space called Endurance, and he's become an advocate for improving science and math education in the U.S. In this episode, we talk about what Kelly saw in space, what he missed back on Earth, and how he went from a kid who couldn't focus into one of the most famous astronauts of our time. Scott, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Just over two years ago, you came back from 340-day trip aboard the International Space Station. Scott Kelly, back on Mother Earth. Folks here in Mission Control, Houston, letting out a, a very big cheer. Scott what Kelly, is that even like? How do you even begin to process that at this point? So, first thing is, it's a privilege. But, you know, a year is a long time to be anywhere. But it was a great experience. I mean, the highlight of my professional career. And I think it's, you know, important what we're doing there. Yeah. on the International Space Station. And when you're aboard there for so long, uh, did you have struggles with even trying to stay sane? You know, I was lucky that I had previously flown a flight that was 159 days, so I kind of knew what I was getting into. Um, and being the first uh, American to spend that time in space, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of people that had a similar experience to talk to about it, so I kind of went into this uh, you know, with my own preconceived notion of what it would be like. I think I gave it enough thought and had a good plan that, you know, when I got to the end, I didn't feel like I was uh, just climbing the walls to get out of there. Yeah, you didn't feel like you had to escape. No, I, I think I handled it. My goal was that when I got back, I wanted the, the flight director that I had in the beginning of the flight to talk to the flight director at the end of the mission and for the two of them when they shared notes on their experience working with me in space, that they had the same exact comments. What do you think they would say? I've never really followed through on that. (laughs) Your identical twin brother, Mark, is also an astronaut. What dynamic did you guys have growing up in New Jersey? So between each other, we were either like the best of friends or the worst of enemies and would like beat each other's brains out. Until we were about 15 and then um, realized that was pointless. 
We are growing up, you know, we, we came from a, uh, you know, middle-class family. Both our uh, parents were police officers. They gave us a, a very long leash as kids, which I think is a, a good thing and a bad thing. But somehow we managed to survive and um, later both had the privilege of flying in space four times. Did you guys have like a sibling rivalry or is it more you want to do kind of the same things together? Yeah, I think it was more, you know, having the same genetics and uh, being exposed to the same things growing up. We happened to have the same interests uh, later, and it wasn't that we were in competition with each other. It was more, I think we're competitive people, but not really with each other. And so Mark, he figured out kind of like where he wanted to take his career before you did. I was this kid that could not pay attention, was not a good student, always wondering like how in the in ninth grade my brother went from being like me to like getting straight A's. I was always <laughs> – I never knew how that happened. But apparently what he tells me is our dad sat us down in like the eighth grade and he said, hey, guys, you know, you're, you're not good students, not college material. We're going to start thinking about a vocational education for you. And my brother thought, whoa, you know, I want to go to college and do something um, more. Uh, I, on the other hand, had no recollection whatsoever of this conversation, (laughs) probably only because there was like a squirrel running outside the window and I was like, squirrel. Otherwise, I probably would have been a straight A student too. When you were 18, though, you had like a pivotal moment, right? When you read Tom Wolfe's book. Can you explain that? Yeah, I read uh, The Right Stuff, happened to find it by accident in college in the bookstore and picked it up and it was the uh, the spark I needed to motivate me to do more with my life than I was currently doing. So this is a book about military test pilots yeah. who ended up becoming the first American yeah. astronauts. Did you see yourself in them? Well, you know, I read this book and I could relate to a lot of the uh, characteristics these guys had. You know, with regards to their their personalities, their risk-taking, their, you know, maybe leadership abilities, their ability to work as a team that I related to a lot of those characteristics with one exception, and that is I wasn't a good student, especially in like science and math. And I thought, wow, you know, if I could fix just that thing, then I could maybe be like these guys. You know, at the time thinking, well, you know, you got to be really smart to be an engineer or a scientist. What I realized is really what it takes is really just hard work. And it's not, uh, you know, any particular gift you might have as a, a student. It's just really hard, especially at first when you don't have the habit patterns to, to study and pay attention. But once you get over that, you know, I was able to go from a uh, – kid at 18 years old that was always like a very, very average, underperforming student at 18. I read the book, The Right Stuff. I decided to make a change in my life. And then fast forward almost to the day, 18 years later, I flew in space for the first time as the first American in my class of 35 people to fly in space. It was a pretty uh, remarkable comeback, I think. And so looking at your own kind of evolution as a student, is that weighing in on your advocacy now for science education? So, yeah. So 3M did this study, the uh, State of Science Index, that did a poll of 14 different countries and people's opinion about science and the importance of science and how much it affects uh, their daily lives, 
It focuses on getting uh, kids the science education they need. And, uh, you know, one of the things they learned is that uh, a lot of people think that to be a scientist or to work in a science field, you have to be a genius. I'm the perfect example of this kid that was bad at science and math. I was actually bad at all of all of the subjects and proved that, well, you don't have to be a genius. You know, what it takes is some hard work. Um, but also, I think it takes an awareness that, you know, you don't have to be the smartest kid in the class to work in a science field. And I think to get kids interested, that's important to show them that, you know, and it's also important to show them the importance in science and how it can change the world. You know, we have... We have a huge challenge ahead of us. And, you know, in the next uh, 30 years, the population of the earth are gonna, is going to increase to 9 billion people. And the challenges that we face with that ever-increasing population with regards to climate change, food and water, availability, sustainability, um, those problems are going to be solved by science. And they're going to be solved by the kids today. So what would you tell the kids who were like you and they don't like school? I hated school, and I learned to like it. And if you find the thing that inspires you to learn that you can do it. If I could do it, you can do it. And there's so many important fields out there that are science-related right now that will help change the world, and they can be a part of it. Absolutely. If I could do what I did, they can do it. When did you tell your brother that you wanted to be an astronaut, too? Um, you know, we never actually talked about it. It was, no. um, you know, later in life, uh, we were both test pilots in the Navy. And um, test pilots at uh, that time when the space shuttle was flying, most of the people would apply to become astronauts. And, uh, and we did, too. He actually interviewed before I did. So I thought you know, he was going to get an interview and maybe have a chance to become an astronaut. And I would never even get called. I just didn't think I was really prepared. But, you know, I was willing to take the risk and uh, send an application, the risk of rejection, which I think a lot of people don't like to do that for some reason. But uh, I didn't care. Did uh, you guys motivate each other? No, not really. I mean, no. we, um, like I said, we're, I think we're competitive uh, in nature, but not with each other. We're pretty supportive of each other and ahead of your last flight he got he broke protocol and got on the bus right to meet you before mm. you got on board yeah he was there uh, every time i flew in space actually but uh, the last two times you know the russian uh, space program very nice of them to let him get on the bus and despite us being quarantined ride out to the uh, rocket as uh, as i got in so having like this same career path has allowed you to be closer than ever? Yeah, I'll tell you what, you know, uh, flying in space is a privilege. Um, I uh, feel that way and even more so when you can share that experience with this person that I've known my whole life. How old were you when you first went into space and what was that experience like? I, I flew my first time in uh, December 1999. I was 36 years old on my first flight which is actually pretty young for an astronaut to fly in space the first time. And it was an incredible experience. I mean, I tried to describe to my brother, who was also a test pilot, we had the same astronaut training. I just happened to fly in space about two years before he did. And, uh, you know, I tried to explain to him, hey, this is what this is like. 
this is what this is going to be like. This is what to expect. Talking to him about it for you know a couple of years. When he got off the space shuttle, I was there at, waiting at the hatch. And the first thing he said to me when he got off, he said, I had no idea what that launch was going to be like. <laughs> I mean, it is 7 million pounds of thrust. It hits you instantaneously. You recognize that the vehicle itself weighs 5 million pounds. It is part, you know, you feel like, and you know, you are just part of this controlled explosion, basically, and you're on the top of it, and it is launching you, you know, you're a busting a hole through the atmosphere at impossible speeds. It's really an incredible uh, experience. I wish I could do it again. wish I could do it every day. Really? Oh, yeah. Amazing. Launching on a rocket. It's That's your funnest. favorite part of the whole thing? Yeah. You know, launching, coming back, uh, spacewalks, those are all kind of very similar in their appeal. So like with Mark, no matter what you could do to explain the experience, it just wasn't going yeah, to wasn't, capture yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if I couldn't explain it to him, it's kind of hard to put it in words <laughs> to, you know, other people that maybe don't have a similar background and understanding sure. of the space, uh, space program. Is there, I know it's difficult to explain, but what goes through your head when you see all of planet Earth from space? A few things. Um, the planet is incredibly beautiful, breathtakingly beautiful. Having said that, you know, parts of it are polluted, like constant uh, levels of pollution in certain parts of Asia. You see how uh, fragile the atmosphere looks. I mean, it's very thin. It's like a thin film, almost like a contact lens over somebody's eye. And, you know, you realize, you know, all the pollutants we put into the atmosphere is contained in that very, very thin film over the surface. A little bit scary, actually, to look at it. And then you realize, looking out at the Earth, that, uh, you know, despite its beauty and its tranquility, there's a lot of uh, hardship and conflict that goes on on Earth. Uh, you look at the planet without political borders, especially during the day. At night, you know, you can granted you can see them with uh, with the lights in countries, but during the daytime, it looks like we are all part of one spaceship, spaceship Earth, and we're flying uh, through space together as a team. It gives you this perspective. People have described it as this orbital perspective on humanity and how you get this uh, feeling that we just need to work better, much, much better to solve our common problems. Did it change your perspective as an individual? Oh, absolutely. I think it makes you a more empathetic person, you know, more in touch with like humanity and who we are and what we should do to uh, not only take care of the planet, but also to solve our, our common problems, which we have, which are clearly are many. And which, you know, part of the science survey is, you know, identifying, hey, these are the things that we can do to, um, you know, improve our uh, chances as we, you know, continue to go forward through time to having a, a sustainable planet and to deal with the challenges ahead. We'll have more in a moment. But first, I'm here with Brett and Fischetti from the Insider Picks team. They're the ones who are finding great products for you to check out. Bretton, what do you have this week? Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me. So today I'm here to talk about, among other things, my underwear, which oh, okay. Mack Weldon makes, but they also make great t-shirts, really great socks, and a bunch of just simple, straightforward, basic stuff for guys that's really versatile and well-made. 
I'm a fan of Mack Weldon's products just because I think that they make very great versions of basic things that I wear every day. I'm not the most flashy dresser normally, so this stuff really aligns with my personal style really well. I love their silver line technology. That stuff is fantastic, not only because it fits well, but also because it has silver woven into the fabric in this proprietary design that they've made so that it's antimicrobial, it fights odor. It's really great when you're traveling just because you don't necessarily have all the clothes at your disposal that you want. Mack Weldon's focus is on making clothes that are great for guys at all times. Their fit is slim, but not too slim. It's definitely not meant to be uh, fashionable. It's meant to be timeless, and that's because their materials are set up so that you can wear it for years, hopefully, without it wearing out, and I've seen that to be true so far. And Breton, since we're in a podcast right now, I'm sure there's going to be a code that our listeners can use, right? It's funny you should ask. So listeners can save 20% on their order by using promo code SUCCESS. Go to MacWeldon.com, promo code SUCCESS for 20% off. You've said that of all the things that could go wrong while you're in space, the biggest fear for you was that something bad would happen to your family yeah. while you were up there. Yeah, you can't uh, come home. Uh, I experienced that on my last flight, not my last last one, but the one prior to being in space for a year. And that is my sister-in-law, Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords, was shot in uh, Tucson, Arizona. We are cutting into our program with some breaking news. Arizona Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords has been shot. She was holding a public event in Tucson outside of a grocery store there. Six people killed. I was halfway through this mission and you couldn't come back. So going into space for a year, yeah, my big concern is, you know, if something happens to my family members, dealing with them, and their issues while I'm in space is the thing that concerned me the most, much more so than my personal safety. Did it feel like this is my worst fear coming true? Um, so, yeah, Gabby getting shot was, yeah. was uh, a significant you know, event. And What ran and, through your head? You know, I wish I could be home to support my family, but I can't, you know, and I recognize that. I mean, that's part of, you know, when you go in space for long periods of time, you're signing up for that. But my worst possible fear would be, you know, something happening to, uh, you know, Amico or my kids um, that you cannot be physically be there for them. And do you miss that physical presence of having your family there? Did it ever become something that you just really missed? Um, you know, the on the space station, we have an extraordinary ability to stay connected to people uh, on Earth. We have email. We have a phone that works most of the time, video conferences. You look out the window, the earth is pretty close. So there's a, a very good way to stay connected with folks on earth. So even though you're in space, you still don't feel like you're really, really far away. Uh, you understand the physics. So in a practical sense, you're really far away. But in a visual sense, you're relatively close which when we go to Mars someday, it's going to be a much different experience because, Why? well, within a few days, you're going to lose the ability to have a phone conversation because of the time delays. You're not going to be able to look out the window and see your home. I mean, I could get a long lens or a pair of binoculars and see my house from space, which on the way to Mars, the planet's going to basically look like a star yeah. at some point. So I think people will feel much more uh, isolated on those kind of trips. So it's kind of tricking yourself into thinking that I'm closer than I actually am. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, 
But then again, you know, you're flying at 17,500 miles an hour, so it's not like you can just open a hatch and jump out with a parachute <laughs> and you'd be home. You've said, like, how remarkable it felt as someone who was trained during the Cold War to be cooperating with Russian cosmonauts mm-hmm. uh, on your mission. Um, what do you think of the revival of tensions with Russia? You know, it's uh, historically we've, um, you know, at times been in a Cold War with the former Soviet Union. Tensions with Russia occur from time to time. Uh, you know, my personal experience working with the Russians in the space program and my friends in Russia, even some of them that had nothing to do with the space program, you know, they've always been very, very generous uh, people, great friends. We've had a, a great partnership with them, with the International Space Station. And that's one of the great things about this space station. It's an international space station, 15 different countries, different cultures, languages. And that, you know, is one of the things that makes this uh, such an extraordinary accomplishment is the international part of it. So I understand that, you know, at times we can uh, be in conflict. Hopefully that won't always be the case. But we should also look to the International Space Station as an example of things that we can do together in a positive way. And what do you think of the current private space race and how that interacts with government space programs? You know, I think uh, people have a different perception of what private space flight privatization means. I think it means something different to everyone. You know, people often look at a company like SpaceX as an example of a, of a private entity that's doing some incredible things in space, which is true. I think sometimes those people don't recognize that some of what SpaceX does, NASA's in partnership with them, supports them. So they're allies. Yeah, they're, we're cooperating with SpaceX. You know, this is not the first time that private industry has been involved in the space program. I mean, even if you look to the space shuttle, Rockwell built the space shuttle. NASA did not build it. You know, NASA was involved in design, managing the construction. So, you know, private space flight and privatization is not something new. But the way I think we're doing it and managing it is different. We're giving SpaceX some requirements and then letting them figure out how to do this. So it's a little bit different than the traditional way we have done this. But it's great because maybe they can do things cheaper. It allows NASA to save money and resources to go and potentially go and, and fly to Mars someday. Yeah. And what would you tell a young person who's considering going into space, whether it's with SpaceX or with NASA? What, what I tell them is, um, you know, if you want to be in a, like a NASA astronaut, as an example, make sure you know what the minimum qualifications are because you got to meet the minimum. And then that, that is generally a bachelor's degree in science or engineering, or math. But then choose a field you like because if you like it, you're going to do better at it. NASA wants people that have done good in their current careers because that's a very good indication of how they will do in a new one. Um, but then also be a you know, well-rounded person, be able to do other things on the space station. You know, you're not just the, uh, the commander or the scientist. You, you're the plumber. You're the electrician. You're the IT person. You're the doctor. You're the dentist. It's everything all at once. Yeah, so you have to do everything. You're the garbage man. You're the janitor. I mean, you do everything. So they want people that have all these different skills and ability to do other things, work well together as a team, because that's what makes a good crew member. Even that's what makes, you know, a good teammate even on the earth, you know, people that are willing to help out when required. So if you want to work at NASA or SpaceX, I'm sure 
if SpaceX had astronauts someday, maybe they will. Um, I think their plan is currently to allow NASA uh, astronauts to, to fly the vehicles. But, you know, someday private industry will have, uh, you know, private astronauts. And I would imagine their criteria will be very similar to what NASA has. Yeah. Are you hopeful for our future in space? I'm hoping I can fly in space again <laughs> with all of you. Yeah, I'm very hopeful. I think it's a, uh, a privilege to do it. I think it, it changes people for the better having that experience. It's exciting. It's fun. And, you know, someday there will be more people flying in space and people will have the opportunity, hopefully, like, uh, you know, getting on an airplane someday. It will happen someday. It's just a matter of when. Well, thank you, Scott. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Success How I Did It. Our show is produced by Anna Mazarakis and Dan Richards. Our executive producer is Dan Bobkoff. I'm Rich Filoni. Don't forget to subscribe to Success on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a review. We'll be back next week with another episode of Success. Success.